This show is for the sales leader who knows they have a pivotal role in driving outstanding sales results. Getting hired or promoted to manage a sales team is a big accomplishment, but you know you have to work hard to become a great sales leader. You are listening to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Here's your host, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders from around the world, Matt McDarvey. Hello and welcome to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. I'm Matt McDarby, veteran seller, leader, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders all over the world. I'm so excited to have you listening. In our latest season of interview episodes, I'm going to be asking some of the same questions about lessons learned, some of the great challenges that the leaders I'm interviewing have overcome, who did they learn from, But there's one important question that I'm adding to the mix, and it's essentially, what are the most important parts of your system? And this is my way of bringing systems thinking, which has been a recurring theme of the last several episodes, into our conversations with highly effective and successful sales leaders. Why am I doing that? I'm doing that to help you clarify in your own mind, what are the key elements in your system? What does your sales leader's operating system look like? I'm really excited to have you listening in on these conversations. So I hope you love this season of interviews. Our very next guest is coming up right now. I met our next guest roughly 10 years ago was when he was in a senior sales leadership role at a company called MedSeq, which is now part of WebMD. His very successful sales career spans the healthcare technology industry in VP sales, chief growth officer, and chief revenue officer at companies like ClearWave, Reporting MD, and now Beck Health, where he currently leads the revenue generating organization. Please welcome Sean Priest. Sean, welcome to the Divine Comedy of Sales. Thanks, Matt. That was a great intro. God, I think I hit it. There, you know, there was a whole portion of your career prior to us meeting I didn't cover, right? But so I don't I don't want to age you too badly here, but let's, you know, you've been at it for a while, right? I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. Good. Well, Sean, look, I think um, our listeners are really going to enjoy learning from you. And if it's okay, I'm just going to dive right in with some questions about lessons you've learned and and how you've been so successful. So a bit of background, you know this and the people listening to the show know, I know a lot of sales leaders right? based on the work that I do. The best sales leaders that I've observed have what I call like a system or a way of kind of making sense of all of the various sort of interconnected parts and levers within the sales organization. And they diagnose, they tune, they make the whole system work together to deliver the desired result. Now, maybe you don't call it a system, you may call it something else, right? But you've been a very successful leader for a long time. What are the most important parts of your system? And so it's interesting. I wouldn't call it a system to start. And the the other one's probably a playbook, right? People like to say, what's your playbook? Sure. I think the biggest thing for me is I love simplicity. And to quote Steve Jobs, simplicity is harder than difficult, right? It's Mm. really easy to do these complex things. So my first piece is how do I keep it really simple? And then so, okay, so now, Sean, what what do you mean by simple? So I would do start with clarity. So when you're dealing or managing a sales team, the basic stuff, right? So do they know what their territory is? Do they know what their quota is? Do we know what their activity metrics that they can control are? Do they know what the leading indicators are? Do they know what they get paid on? And obviously, Matt, we worked with you, you know, uh, 10 years ago, is Mm -hmm. that 
I don't know if you, when you go out and you meet with different companies, ask people what their quotas are and you'd be surprised how many people don't know what their quota is, right? Shocking. So how do you keep it? Right. It's shocking. I mean, it's absolutely shocking. And I think because people overcomplicate it, right? Well, then they do. What's my uh, ACV, TCV, ARR, margin, net margin, all these pieces. But so first piece is simple. Do they understand what their territory is? Do they understand their quota? Do they understand, you know, my expectations? Yeah. Um, the second piece for me would be cadence. So what's our cadence as a team and what's our cadence individually? So today at Beck Health, uh, we meet twice a week as a team. So we meet at the beginning of the week. It does the team need any help for pieces they're doing in the field? What's going on? How do we support them? And then we meet at the end of the week. How did the week go? What did we learn? What were our results? And then during those meetings, we'll intertwine. We're coming out with a new release. Do we need training on the new release? We've got a trade show coming up. We've got to circle the wagons to get ready for the trade show. And then for all of my direct reports, I meet with them weekly. Uh, we also have a theme that says clients and prospects first. So it's just good to know that they're going to have a meeting with me every Wednesday. So uh -huh. they know they're going to come uh -huh. up with a list of pieces. Because you'll also be surprised that how many top producers get left alone by their manager. Mm. Right? And no, I'm not surprised. I see it all the time. They're doing the person a favor where they want to know those pieces. Go on. And I tell the team, too, you, you can move my meeting, but they know those meetings are happening. Uh -huh. And then if you have a larger team, then you decide, do I meet with people, non-direct reports once a month just to get a pulse of what's going on, what's going on at the, what's going on at the company. Mm -hmm. And then the next piece would be the pipeline. I love the pipeline. And then I'll tell a story. I guess my second individual contributor job, I had a French VP of sales and he would grind me on the pipeline and I used to drive me crazy. And then when I became a sales manager, I'm like, I can't run the business without a pipeline. I think the pipeline tells <laughs> everything. So during yeah. my team calls, we'll review if there's anything urgent on deals we need to get done and support. And then on my individual calls, we'll always review the pipeline to, uh, to see where we are. And then the last piece is celebrate. Sales is so hard. So, you know, it's easy to celebrate the big wins. You win a big enterprise deal, but celebrate the small wins, right? You actually booked an appointment you did your first demo, right? Celebrate those pieces. We got it. You did a reference call. You helped somebody else on a demo. I mean, celebrate, like build that celebration piece. So it's interesting. Yeah. Is it a formal system? I, and I probably call it more of the buzzword of a playbook, but we sure. I definitely have a strategy and to circle all the way back to the beginning, simplicity. Yeah. If you don't, under, if your system's too complicated, how can your team in the field understand it? Yeah. And no, and, that's I mean, well thoughts? I mean, you any of those things I said surprise you? No, they don't. They don't surprise me because I've seen them at play. I, I want to ask a couple a questions about a couple of them, but I've seen them versions of them at play in other people's playbooks slash systems, right? So let me ask you about a couple of things. So clarity, cadence, pipeline, and then celebrating, right? Celebrating yep. the wins, not just the big ones, but the small ones. You know, cadence, I think, you know, I've, I'm a fan. I love, I'm a fan of the word. I'm a fan of the concept, written a book. The first book was about that, right? But there's something that's implied in that. And it was toward the, the, the kind of the end of what you said about cadence. Like my team come, I forget how you said it, but my team comes to expect that they know we're having it. Right. So there's an aspect of consistency there. So cadence tends to, or it connotes that we're going we're gonna to focus on priority things, priority opportunities, priority issues. We're going to do it consistently and try to devote time to those things first before all other things. But I think what you said is it's, you know, the team has come to expect that they know that we're going to have the time. 
there's a lot to be said about consistency, isn't there? Yeah, I would do. And then I would also add like forced events, right? So yeah. like if you're not following up with people, like the pipelines are pain. Like I, when I was an individual contributor, it used to drive me crazy, like people updating the pipeline, right? Getting that, hey, I know I'm going to have a meeting with John. I need to go update the pipeline. They know that I'm in the pipeline. They also know that I'm there to support them, right? What they do is extremely hard and I appreciate the hard work that they do. And so I want to support them. So I, I would, uh, I would, I would agree with, uh, I would agree with all of that. Yeah. You know, I typically ask when I interview people on the show, I ask them about lessons learned, but I actually want to dig into one of the things that you said specifically, and then maybe ask you about any other kind of big lessons learned, if it's okay. When you say, first of all, I love the reference to simplicity, my whole job, my whole life, creating frameworks and principles and working is about taking complex stuff and making them simple. I love the rule of threes. Like every framework I have is like it's three elements, right? It's, it's easy to remember, easy to, to like, you don't have to read anything later. It's in your brain. So I, I'm simplicity. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Right. That's key to the system working. But you said the first part of it was start with clarity. What are some of the big lessons? Because clarity is not inevitable, right? It's not, it's not a given. You have to work right. toward clarity, right? What are some of maybe the lessons you learned about like, what does it really take to achieve clarity with the sales team or with the whole sales organization? What are some of the things that you've learned about that over the years? Yeah, you've got to fight for it. And what I mean by that is, and again, so I'm a you know 30-year healthcare IT person and I'll just do like territories. You'd think that they're clean, but they're not as clean as you think, right? So let's just take health systems, for example. You could say, okay, I have the state of Georgia. I live in Georgia. I'll do specifically North Carolina, specific example. Okay, so I have the territory of North Carolina. Advocate Healthcare out of Illinois just acquired Atrium Health, or recently Atrium out of, and so now whose territory is it? Is it the guy yeah. in Illinois' territory or the gal in North Carolina's territory? So you have to work, and there's just not like, and those pieces come up, right? And then I've had different, so you know, what do you document, right? So like, what's the, and I would try to document it, but in the end, you're also like, sometimes as a sales leader, you got to make a call, right? So I just, it is a very specific one on clarity. And then we create a thing and say, okay, where's the decision being made out of? Because you do get some pieces right. where they get acquired, like a private equity firm out of New York by somebody in Texas. Well, Texas is making the decision, but now the owner is in New York. So it yeah. just takes a lot of work and these pieces come up. And then the other piece that I do is I break the ties. So it's up mm. to me to break the tie. And I do tell the team, because one thing we didn't get into is sales can be an individual sport. Sure. But one of the things I try to do, and it's hard to have us also be a team, right? So they get graded on how much they sell, but I want them to help other people. So the other thing that I do, so if I have to make a hard decision, I don't turn it over to them and say, hey, is it Illinois or is it North Carolina? I make the decision. I own it. If you get mad at somebody, get mad at me. Yeah. Right. And then you also do lessons learned. I make mistakes all the time, unfortunately. Yeah. You, well, you and everybody else in this role, right? This is a hard, this is a hard job. But, but, but I mean, look, if it's always you breaking the tie because people aren't clear about the rules, that's, that's a, that's a problem. Right. Right. So, yeah. So, so you've got to have the clarity thing. And what you said was fight for clarity, which I, I, I quite enjoy yeah. that because I know what you mean, because it does feel like you're fighting for it. A lot of the time when you're doing the job. Well, yeah, I mean, just, just naturally, right? And then if you do, you know, you do these stories, I think of one specific uh, rep who was a really great salesperson. 
However, this person was always encringing on other people's territory. Mm -hmm. It was just mm -hmm. in this person's like they were so aggressive and you enjoyed it, <laughs> right? But they would oh, I didn't know that wasn't my territory. Yeah, sure. Right. So then you try to document, <laughs> but even if you but you also can't make it perfect, right? And life gets in the way. Right. So those sure. types of pieces. Um, so I would say that you have to you have to fight for it. And then you get pieces with, you know, talk to me through my comp plan, right? So one of the reasons people don't know their comp, because finance may really care about margin. And then margin gets really complicated when you're discounting deals and then you have software in the deal and you have services in the deal and you have hardware in the deal. It gets really, you know, it gets really complicated from a margin perspective. And then as a, on the leadership team, you care about margin, but you've also then got to fight for, hey, I get from finance on here, but if we want the sales team thinking about this stuff, they're not selling. Right. And you're confusing the buyer. So you've also got to make sure you don't confuse the buyer. So this is a, this is why you got to fight for it because it is hard and things just naturally get in the way. Yeah. For good well, reason. Fight right? like margin is a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Yeah. And, and you know, it's best when everybody has the, 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 in, the business's best interests at heart. That's hard though, because sometimes we have different players and it's not just the salespeople. So those listening, you're he's talking about salespeople. I'm not. So, but no. every stakeholder in a dispute like this or where there's a lack of clarity around comp, for example, or territory assignment, you know, some, sometimes one of the big problems is people are thinking about their own self-interest first. And so you have to be sort of the honest broker, right? Right. And, and you do. And I think at good companies, there's natural friction between sales and finance. There's natural friction between sales and implementation. There's natural friction between sales and marketing. If they both report to me, there's still natural. So there's natural frictions in the business. Sure. Right. So you have to work your way through those. Right. I mean, and there are just the deci hard decisions have to be made. Yeah. Right. And then if you take on the implementation team, they may get graded on how long it takes them to install the product. And there's a lot of pressure for them to install the product quicker. Right. And then, so how do you manage that? So there's these, and they're all, if you can keep it positive, because you can't get rid of the friction. No. Can you try to keep the friction positive? Or again, it, people, you know, walk in another person's shoes, it does make a difference. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. One of the things that it's like a, a, a recent topic, it's come up with a lot with clients in our practice. It's leveraging disputes and conflicts to strengthen relationships. Yeah. Like, like purposely looking at this as a process, not that we're seeking out dispute, we just know it's going to happen. Yeah. And if we can use them as a means to send a message to people, like, look, we're, we really, we can, we can figure this out together. Right. And I've got your back. We, you know, we trust each other more as a result of are resolving this together. And one thing I do, assume positive intent, right? I actually believe yes. the other department, assume positive intent, right? And we'll just do a sales and marketing one, right? Or lead gen and marketing, right? So lead gen's goal is to generate leads, right? So that's what their goal is, right? And then typically sales goals is, you know, how much business did we close? And that, you know, there's never going to be a one-to-one -one lead to close deal, but it's it always creates this friction, right? And one group's really graded, on generating leads and then you're accepting, you know, there's like, there's a lot of moving parts that if you assume goodwill on both sides, you can work it out. Or even with finance, I'll just use the margin example, right? Margin is so important in each one of these companies, but you can bog the sales team down in margin. So finance can be right. You know, the one if, would we like 80% uh, of zero, right? Or would we like 65% of $100,000, right? So you have to do so, right. you know, having, having those, having those conversations, which I think, are positive in the long run, but it can get it can get hard. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we were just talking about some of the lessons you've learned about achieving clarity, fighting for clarity. 
stepping away from that and maybe less, just bigger picture about the job and, and what you've learned over time, what's, aside from what we were just talking about, what's the most important lesson you've learned so far about leading a sales team? So, oh, it is humbling. It is a humbling profession. And I think you have to be prepared. So as an individual contributor in sales, you get humbled a lot in deals. But now when you move your sales leader, you get humbled in more ways, right? So you get get humbled with that client turnover. You get humbled with sales team turnover. You get humbled with missing a projection. You know, you get humbled that a deal you sold didn't install. So you get humbled. So you've got to manage, you've got to manage the piece being humbled. And then I think the challenging makes the job fun and hard is one of the common things I talk about is art and science, right? So like as a system, I'd say I'm probably more on the art side, right? And I believe like if you, if you're all science, I actually believe you have a great process and you don't win. Mm. And if you're all art, I believe you can win, but there's no way art scales, Right. True. So then yeah. you have to get into how do you how do you balance those things? And that's where you bring your skills as both a manager, a leader, and a sales leader to those pieces. Right. And yeah. that's the that's that art and science. And then as the sales leader, you do have to work with other departments. Right. So if you work in a really big deal and they have an unrealistic timeline in the deal, you have to negotiate it, right? You got to try to get the buyer's timeline to be a little longer and you've got to get the implementation team's timeline a little shorter than they're comfortable with. Right. And there's that like a natural friction and that's the art and science of working those pieces internally. And again, it's, you know, it's not academic, it's hard, right? I mean, it's, it's hard, it's hard to go do those pieces. So I think that's part of the lessons learned. I mentioned assume goodwill. I think that's a big, I think it's a game changer for people. If you assume the other side has positive intent and goodwill. I think that's a big, big, big part to it. And then you get into, I'm going to switch a little bit to managing people. Mm-hmm. And another mm-hmm. term I use is hug it and punch it. <laughs> right? Like, like when, do you, when do you hug a sales rep who lost a deal? And when do you punch a sales rep that lost a deal? <laughs> right? Yeah. And I mean, like those are like, that's where you get into the nuances and um, where it's hard to be a sales. And what's your style? Right? You know, are sure. you naturally a hugger. And if you're naturally a hugger and, and maybe punching is not appropriate these days, but, um, you know, if you're naturally a hugger, you need to punch a little more. Right. <laughs> and if you're a puncher, you need to hug a little more. And I think if you hug sure. all the time, people stop oh, listening to you. Hug. And if you punch all the time, people stop listening to you. And that's what's humbling. That's what it makes. It's challenging. It's what makes it fun. It's fun to do these, it's fun to do these like things and calls. And even now, like for me, like I'm, you know, chief revenue officer at Beck Health, you know, great company doing great things, but it's hard. And our CEO, Dave Levin is great. And Dave says, you know, I want to be solving hard problems with good people. Right. So yeah. like even mm-hmm. this conversation here has me take a pause to look at what I'm doing today. And am I actually following my own mantras of simplicity? Right. Am I, yeah. you know, am I keeping that cadence with the team, those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. Self-reflection, regular part of the job, right? Driving great sales results is hard. Doing it consistently is even harder. There are so many obstacles that can prevent you from becoming the most effective sales leader you can be. Find practical advice you can apply right away by picking up your copy of Matt's book, The Divine Comedy of Sales, at www.divinecomedyofsales.com.
one of the more challenging things is when things aren't going well and you're reflecting on your own performance or how you're leading, which is kind of getting back to the thing you were saying about if this job is humbling and I've experienced right. it myself. You may have, people can't see the video, but you can see me sort of twitching as you're saying it's humbling. I'm like, yeah, I, I know what you mean, right? <laughs> now there's, so there's, so humbling which leads me to humility, which I share with people is that that's a really critical virtue that we need to demonstrate. So there's kind of the the, the two sides of humility. There's the, the, I'm being humbled because of all this tough stuff, you know, right? But then there's the humility, which is the opposite of pridefulness, Yeah, right? Which is a real driver. It's a wedge, right? And, and gives people the wrong impression that you're focused on your agenda primarily more than theirs, which is bad for relationships with clients, with your teams, with peers. How does humility, in your opinion, because the job is gonna humble you, and yet you're gonna have great success, you've gotta sort of balance all that and be like, you can't be like, I'm great all the time. How does humility play into your work as a leader? Right, and then when you're humbled, you have to then have to have the fortitude, right? To, you know, yes. And then have the confidence to then, you know, grind through it. So. I mean, it's, I mean, cause also, I mean, I do get caught up like when I'm winning in this, in the, and the winds at my back, I mean, I can, I can lose humility. Yeah. Me so, too. Me too. So it's, so it's like, when you say that, that's a back like self-reflection reflection of how can I do it? So, I mean, I do believe that it's humbling. How do you put other people first? Right. And it's easy to say those things, right. It's easy to, it's easy to say to put somebody else first. And then it's also like, well, man, I got to go do this thing. And I'm, traveling and I'm at the airport and do I need to do this other call or it's, you know, five, you know, so I do that servant leadership piece. And what's also rolling through my, when you just said, like when you're in a, you know, when you're getting humbled, how do you get out of it? And how do you find the piece of being both open to change and then saying, Hey, what we do is hard. We're doing the right things. You know, we continue to do these things. Good things will happen to us. Right. I know if we yeah. continue to do the leading indicators, continue to solve business problems, continue to invest in it, right? You know that it will come around, but when you're in the middle of it, man, it is it is tough. There's no doubt about it. Sure, sure. I think about my worst days as a leader, yeah, frontline manager, leader of leaders, or or either an interim. And um, there's definitely, and I won't I won't tell you what they are because there's too many. But but also. I think about those scenarios where I'm like, boy, I really wish I had approached that differently. Every one of them, I didn't slow it down. I didn't think about how I should react. I allowed myself to sort of, this is sort of the the pridefulness coming to the surface, right? I'm just, let me just say what I'm going to say. I'm pissed and I'm going to push back. And, you know, not surprisingly, that doesn't have a good outcome. It doesn't, doesn't lead to a good outcome. Yeah. It's in when you're in the middle of it. Do you have the time to take a break? And then also sometimes you're in the middle of these things, right? I mean, there's a middle. So, I mean, we... The other piece for those, you know, for those who are looking to get into sales manager and want to become sales managers or newer sales manager, it's a series of 90-day sprints is how I've looked at it, right? Each quarter, at least for me, I've worked at companies traditionally in healthcare IT, we have quarterly goals. Sure. So it's a series of 90-day sprints. And if you're coming up and you're going to miss, right, that, and that has all downstream implications, right? So we're, I mean, yeah. we're the you know, revenue leads everything at a company. And I believe that, right? Because we want to make more investments in development. We want to make more investments in human resource, make more investments in, right? To do that, you actually need revenue to go do that. And when you're making that sprint and there's three days to go in the quarter and you're working one deal, right? I mean, there's so uh -huh. much pressure on that and you've got to try to balance it. And then as a sales leader, we get back to picking and choosing what, what do you absorb 
that the team doesn't feel, uh-huh. right? And yeah. what do you pass on so the team gets some of it, right? That's a little bit like the hugging and punching. You can't yeah. pass it all on them, then you're not doing your job. And if you absorb it all, then you're enabling them, right? So yeah. you've got to find this again. I think so far, it seems like the theme of this call is threading the needle. Yeah. Or balance. It's balance, balance yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, people listening to this will will draw the conclusion, rightly so. It's a, it's not an easy job. It isn't. Right. Right. And that's why there's not 10 CROs in every company is one. Yep. Um, and it's a unique kind of person that seeks these roles out, right? So I'm going to presume that you're not just a glutton for punishment, that you love this. <laughs> right? So what do you love most about leading leading salespeople, leading people in general that you have maybe that you haven't already shared with us? Yeah. So um, and if you look at, I guess we all do the Myers-Briggs and all those self pieces. So I'm a high external. I'm an extrovert. Like I just love being around people. So that stuff's very rewarding for me. And I'll tell a very specific example. So at, uh, at Beck Health, right? So we're kicking off the year. We just promoted, a, we call them SDR, sales development representative, lead generation, whatever you, whatever you want to call them. And we just promoted somebody to a quota carrying sales rep. And when I told her about her promotion, she lit up like a Christmas tree. I mean, yeah. it's just like, I mean, it, it was so rewarding. And obviously now she's got to go deliver the number, right? But sure, at that sure. point, it was just so, it was just so rewarding to go do that. And then I've been doing this a long time. I've also had uh, this a gentleman that I helped get into sales. He was doing technical guy first. Uh, he now works at a private equity firm and is doing tremendous. Um, there's another guy that worked for me that now works at one of the large insurance company. He has over a thousand people reporting to him. Right. Oh. So you've also, I mean, it's really neat seeing those people, those people grow. And then, you know, with sales, especially people earlier in their career, I mean, people get married, people buy houses. I mean, it's actually, it's, yeah. it, it's a lot. I mean, it's a, that's a lot of fun. And then I'm a salesperson at heart. Like I, st- I sold lawn services in high school. I sold yeah. truck rental services in college, right? I did a, a non-sales in the beginning of my career, but I, I mean, I just love sales and winning and seeing companies grow. So you talked about the MedSeq example, you know, we tripled revenues at MedSeq. And how much fun is it to triple revenues? I mean, it is so great. And then we had a, a successful private equity exit, right? Yeah. You know, I've been yep. in uh, benefits to be part of uh, growing four times, five times, six times. Again, I'm fortunate enough to do those. And they're great. I mean, it's just so much fun to be around as a company and see that growth. And then it creates growth for people. So again, I you're, I, I liked how you flipped it, right? Because we were going down, we are going down the, hey, like, why would I ever do this? This is brutal, right? But that's part yeah. of the reward, right? I mean, that's part sure. of the, you know, on a hard day or you turn things around or you didn't think you'd make the number or this and that, or somebody was struggling and then it clicked with them, all of that stuff. So yep. those pieces yep. really pull it all together, you know? Yeah. You know, there's a common for those who've listened to some or all the interview episodes when I ask people, you know, successful sales leaders, what do they love most? You know, the, we get kind of a range of answers, but the one at, the one that's sort of common across is I really love to see other people achieve yeah. great things. That's that's that may not even be why I got into it, but that's why I stay yeah. in it. Yeah. Right? And that's so, and I can relate to that totally. Cause that's for me, you know, and when you do this long enough, you've made, you've made the living, you've made the income, money's great, but there's gotta be more to it than that. Yeah. Cause there are days when you're like, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, this really is very difficult, but then you see that person, like you said, they buy the home or they get the promotion or they, 
achieve that thing that they, they, yeah, 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 Yeah. or they achieve the thing that they didn't even think possible, right? And you're there, and they know that you played even a small role in that. That's that makes it all worth it. Yeah, no, totally agree. Right, we didn't talk about financial rewards directly, but it is also not. I mean, it is financially rewarding if you can be successful at it. So that stuff definitely it definitely helps, and you know, part of those people you help organizations grow and you get rewarded for it, get fairly compensated yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Look, time flies, right? So I'm going to ask you one more question, which is purposely vague, intentionally so, because I'm sure there are a few more nuggets we can grab from you, the people that will resonate with the audience. So what else? What else, Sean? What else do we need to know about leading? What else should we hear from you that you think would be really useful for the folks listening to, to today's episode? So- I think the piece for uh, a sales leader or a chief revenue officer, a chief growth officer, chief commercial officer, and so on. One thing we haven't talked, we talked a little bit about CEOs, and I think CEOs have the hardest jobs at companies, and I've been really blessed to work for some amazing CEOs. But I would also say one thing we haven't talked about to be successful is to understand your board of directors and understand your investors. And as chief revenue officer, usually you get to deal with the board. Um, which is, and they're really bright people. So you get to learn a lot. And then where are they and how long have they been in the company? What percentage of ownership do they have in the company? Right. How are they looking at it? So Beck Health's board is great. So let me get that out. Let me get that off the table. Uh, <laughs> Noted. We heard you say do, it. Right. But I, I did work at one company a while back where we had a split board and this is what makes me think of it. So we're doing hmm. okay. We weren't, we weren't doing bad, but we weren't doing great. We had a large recurring revenue stream and half the board wanted to go for margin, right? And cut staff and cut people and milk that large revenue stream. And the other half of the board wanted to take all that money and pour it into sales and marketing and product and grow the business. And we, you know, we weren't like, we weren't doing either one, right? We weren't growing fast enough for the people that wanted growth. And we weren't, didn't, we weren't making enough money for the people that wanted to make money. And that's where it really stuck out to me. Like as a sales leader, it was hard for me to be, successful mm. when the board was not in sync of what, you know, what we wanted to do. And then we've seen that as an industry, right? In 2021, it was all about growth, right? And then obviously we had the mini crash sure. in 2022, then it was about margin. Now the market seems to be coming back. But I think as a sales leader or a chief revenue officer, you know, my advice to folks would be just understand your board, understand what percentage of the company have, where they're coming from, because boards are tremendously helpful. They're really smart people. They want you to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. And then they see mm-hmm. the world differently. For I guess we're using analogies. I'm inside the pillbox. I can't see the label. I'm thrashing around here every day. Right? <laughs> and I'm just trying to, you know, where they can actually see the market differently. So that would be my kind of yeah. one topic we didn't touch at all that I think can be valuable for um, sales leaders. Yeah. I guess, you know, for those who are listening, who maybe work for the, maybe they work for privately held company, right? That there's maybe an advisory board or it's just ownership. There's a version of understand what those people care about, right? Right. No, agree. And so again, I've been a 30 year career. So I've worked for somebody where they owned hundred percent of it and we didn't have a board. I worked for a publicly traded company where I was chief growth officer, where we did the quarterly calls where we had, you know, very public board. I've worked mm-hmm. for private equity firms. I worked for angels. And each one of them, they have their own, right, as the owners of the company, they have their own initiatives. Obviously, everybody wants the business to be successful. But again, I just use the one because it's kind of clear for me. Like growth first, you know, what, what, are they, what do they want, right? I think those pieces. And then how do you help support their initiatives, 
right? Mm-hmm. And do they want to mm-hmm. buy more companies, right? Do they want a revenue stream, right? Those types of things. I think it's, uh, and I don't think, just to your point, I actually don't think matters what structure, just understand it. Even if somebody owns it all yeah. and there's one owner, what do they want to do? On this note, I was just with a client of mine earlier this week and the conversation was about setting expectations for the sales team, for the sales organization. And a big part of, it's what, why, and how, right? What are we trying to achieve? And and uh, what are we trying to achieve collectively? What are you specifically trying to achieve in your role? Why is that important to us collectively? Why does it matter to you? It's really hard to answer the why does this matter to all of us if you don't have the understanding of what you're what you're talking about, right? Yeah, and and obviously we can keep talking, Matt, for going on and on. But I would also like your piece when you're setting quotas, when you're setting budgets, right? Those pieces are very important. And like it's hard as a sales leader. Because I think of how many times when they say, oh, we've shown we want to hire two more developers. Oh, we want two more developers. You just need to take on another million dollars a quota, right? And then I'm looking around going, <laughs> yeah. I don't what? see it, right? right? I don't see it. So yet, like, and having, you know, doing those pieces, right? And then at the same time, at some point, you're predicting the future and you got to, you know, you got to say, okay, all right, I gave my piece. We really need those two developers. Now I got to figure out how to go get another million dollars of revenue, right? So, but like those pieces and understanding that, and I mean, it's, again, it's, Part of it makes it fun, but it's it's hard. And you know, one thing I've learned over time is the hard no today is way better mm-hmm. than the messy no that you knew was coming. You know, in two months, three months, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, been there, Sean. Like you said, we can't talk about this forever. We've reached time. Yeah, thank I really you so much. It. It a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that our audience is really gonna. Love your perspective. Uh, I'm going to now take off and give a kind of a quick summary for three or four minutes and challenge them to think about how can we apply some of the things we just heard from Sean to your environment. So before I do that, again, Sean, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been a joy to have you on the show. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I want to thank Sean Priest again. Great guest. I'm so thrilled that I was able to, frankly, take advantage of the podcast to reunite with Sean. It's been a long time since we spoke and I knew he would have some gems for us to think about. A few things that he said really jump out at me. When I asked him about what are the key elements of your system, Sean, he said a few things. He talked about clarity, cadence, pipeline, celebrating. And then I think we sort of tacked on, or at least I did, consistency. So he said, start with clarity. And he said a few other things that you've got to fight for clarity. It's really a critical part of his system, how he communicates with others, how he seeks clarity when communicating with them. Cadence, what's our cadence as a team? Let's define those things. Those are really critical parts of our system. He talked about the pipeline, um, his focus, and how it's so crucial that he understands what's going on intimately at a deep level of detail in the pipeline. And he also mentioned as a key part of his system, celebrating even the small wins, not just the big wins, which we can easily focus on, especially when we're in enterprise, you know, large, complex deals with high visibility. But we also have to celebrate the small wins. Implied in that is we know what those small wins are. Think about that as part of your system. And I asked Sean as I heard that, what about consistency though, right? These are all good ideas, but how do you maintain consistent focus on those things? Clarity, cadence, pipeline focus, celebrating wins. Isn't it all about being consistent? He said simply, yes, that is the case. We talked about a few other things. I loved, I don't know if you pick up uh, Sean's Boston or his Massachusetts accent. He's talking about natural style, knowing your natural style as a leader. 
hugging and punching, as he put it. That's what he engages in as a leader. He said a few other things. One really critical thing about relationships, which really resonated with me, when he said, assume good intent, meaning assume others have good intent. They're not out to get you. You have to assume good intent if you want strong relationships in the business. So based on that important point, I suppose we can add relationships to Sean's system. And the point of asking Sean about the key elements in his system is not necessarily so that you can replicate those exactly, but just to help you think about what are the key parts of my system? What are the aspects of the organization, the people, the processes, the tools, the data, all that, that I might need to diagnose and tune to drive the kind of performance we need in this business? Sean is a great leader and a great practitioner. In our next episode, I'm going to be speaking with another fantastic sales leader, and I will be asking that leader questions about her system. What are the lessons that we can learn from her? And how can we tune our system to drive the sort of performance that she has for the last 19 years as a leader, incidentally, now leading thousands of salespeople? I hope you will join us. You're going to love that episode. In the meantime, this is Matt McDarby host and author of The Divine Comedy of Sales. Thank you so much for joining. Bye-bye for now.